You're listening to World Building for Masochists. And we're wondering why we do this to ourselves. Uh, I jumped down the rabbit warren of world building because I need a break from constantly dying to the guardian ape in Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Tochio Nyebuchi. (laughs) I'm Rowena Miller. I'm Marshall Ryan Maresca, and this is episode 23. We are gathered together today. Friends, we are so excited to have you back for another episode of World Building for Massacres. We have an exceptionally exciting guest today, and I will ask him to introduce himself. Tochi, tell us a little about yourself and a little about your work. So, yeah, uh, my name is Tochi Onyabuchi, um, in case you didn't get it the first time. Uh, I am a science fiction and fantasy author, uh, primarily YA, but uh, my most recent book was my adult debut, and my YA novels are Beast Made of Night, which was my debut, Crown of Thunder, its sequel, um, War Girls, which came out this past October, and most recently, Riot Baby, my adult novella with Tor.com. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yay! Excellent. I know I, I saw, uh, have um, Riot Baby on my, my to-be-read list, which is ever-growing during Quar and Spring, but I'm also having more time to read, so I'm, I'm excited to get to that exactly. one. Exactly. I, I, I'm a little jealous that you've been able to focus on reading, because I've <laughs> certainly failed along those lines. Oh, see, I no, have the, tried The reason tried. is I, I am failing to write anything myself. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, maybe if I read a lot, I'll feel kicked in the pants to actually get some it's, work it, done. We'll it's see. like those it's like those memes where they have four options and they're like one must go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it's that's been that's been functional productivity for me lately. Yeah. In terms of other news announcement stuff, I kind of realized it's sneaking up on me, but um my You got a book coming soon. Book, yeah, third book in the Unravel Kingdom trilogy is out um, May nineteenth. Um, I'm not sure how, how to even really feel about that right now, but it's it's um, as far as I know, not delayed, still happening. Um, still time to pre-order if that's something you want to do. Um, <laughs> and and I'm just gonna put a plug in right now that for my book or any others, if if I can humbly ask you to consider your local independent bookshop, um, they could really use your help right now. So if you don't have a local independent bookshop, ask us online. We'll find one for you. And you're fi- you finished a trilogy. That's that's yeah. super, I finished a trilogy. That's super huge. And you should be you should it be is. thrilled and excited to celebrate that because even even and now maybe I'll... take the victory. <laughs> I'll wear my fan- take I'll wear victories. my fancy pajamas at home yeah. that day. <laughs> absolutely i guess speaking speaking of of celebrating um we are talking ceremonies today which are kind of a form can be a form of celebration sometimes so shall we jump in gentlemen let's do it yeah let's do it so coming up with ceremonies and reasons for ceremonies is one of my favorite things to do in world building way back when i was first building all the all the stuff in the Meridane books 
I had created like a whole sheet. I just called it like my national document for every country. I had a document like this and it was broken down into its sections. And I specifically had like a ceremonies and holidays section because I thought that's a really important thing that you need to get into for any culture to dig into who they are and what they do. And I loved coming up with those. So, and there's always every, every culture has a ton of different ceremonies and good reasons to have them and and the way they mark those ceremonies is such a crucial signifier of what their cultures are like yeah no absolutely absolutely i think i think another thing too that i think about in ceremonies is this idea of building solidarity um so if you have a particular group particularly if they're in the story world a marginalized group or something like that, or sort of a subgroup within a group, you know, identified, you know, maybe by, by you know, gender or profession or what have you, the ceremonies often can be a way of bringing in a new member. Um, and that was, like, that, I think, was a thing that I realized, like, much later on in my writing career. I'd only seen a lot of the bells and whistles of ceremonies and, you know, the idea that they can function with regards to a person's like life cycle. So like you come of age and generally, you know, there's, you know, in, in so many cultures, a ceremony for that. If you're, if you're, you know, getting married or, or integrating into another family or having somebody integrate into your family, there's generally a ceremony for that. But for like organizations, for, for, you know, groups and membership and whatnot, there, you know, there can also be that sense of induction. And I think like, you know, going back to, you know, what you were saying about revealing culture, like, I think that's a very, that too is a very interesting way of framing it. I mean, absolutely, because I mean, when you think about what does a culture build a ceremony around, like it says so much about what's important to a culture. And, you know, it's kind of a giant, we, we say a lot on this podcast, choose versus presume, like mm-hmm. you're building a fantasy world, do you just presume something's going to be the same as here? Or just, you know, that it's going to work in a particular way? Or do you choose something intentionally? And I think, you know, there are some ceremonies that can can sneak into your world building without even really thinking about it, like weddings, for mm-hmm. example, like weddings are such an integral part of most of the Western world, like even people who are kind of you know, counterculture, I'm not really into the marriage thing. So I'm still gonna have a wedding, but it's gonna look really, really different. Like very few people totally eschew the entire mm-hmm. wedding thing. Um, but you know, if you're building a fantasy world in which a long term monogamous partnership is not a big deal, obviously, weddings aren't going to be the thing that you fixate on. So you you have different ways of showing what's important in a culture by what do you invest time and money and infrastructure even sometimes in ceremonies around yeah and you can also like you know and reframing that too i think you know there's there's the idea that weddings and the sort of conceptualization of them are you know these these big gatherings and every everybody in the community is supposed to know that this thing is happening, right? Or that these two people or multiple people are being brought together. But one thing that that I that I think a lot about is, you know, what if you know, what if you flip that? And what if, say for instance, instead of weddings being this big 
um, sort of lavish, even in many in many cultures, a multi-day celebration. Like Nigerian weddings and and Indian weddings are notorious, like in terms of the the length, the sheer marathon length of them. Um, what if it was just like a single meeting that attends the general like you know marriage? A single meeting between like you know one party and like a member of that party's family that's just like here this is what you need to know here is this ceremonial beverage for you to drink and then etc 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 and so it's like I always and I like I think for me the important thing is to have ceremonies um, include emotional beats in the story um, and that like you know that goes to the point of them as as plot movers like the ceremony has to it means something within the world but it has to ultimately mean something for the characters well and i think that that's why so often when we think about fantasy and sci-fi fiction like we can think of a ceremony in our favorite book or our favorite movie because they are such i mean just as a craft perspective such a great moment to bring people together or to force decisions to mm -hmm. happen or just to kind of have, you know, a climactic face-off between two characters because there's this high-tension moment. I mean, it really is a fun point that you can bring together your world-building and your plot craft into the same kind of space on the page. So you can really have fun with that, I think. Because it's going to be a big event anyway, so that raises the drama. I mean... It's not sci-fi or fantasy, but the the moment in The Graduate where he's slamming on the glass and going, Elaine, Elaine, at her <laughs> wedding is totally different than if he, like, showed up at her house four, four hours yep. earlier. Yep, <laughs> absolutely. Right. Well, it, and it's so true. So many films, you know, have that culminating moment, like, at right. a wedding where... <laughs> You know, in, in, in real life, maybe we wouldn't, like, do it that way. Like, I've never been at a wedding where someone actually did the whole, like... Speak now or forever hold your peace. <laughs> well, actually, no, I, I, actually, I was. I was at a wedding where that kind of happened, but it just turned out that, that the great-grandfather's name wasn't in the program. Oof. So he felt the need to say it then. <laughs> we're all sitting there. It's like, I'm the great-grandfather, and I wasn't in the program. And we're like, oh, oh, that was really anticlimactic. That was not... That's not how we're expected, you know, like we've been led to believe this is going to go down when someone speaks in the middle of a wedding. But um, I guess, yeah, there are tropes that can be fun to use. <laughs> and, and every culture can have their different ways of which they express those tropes. I mean, my own actual wedding, there was a lot of Mexican elements incorporated in it that i was never briefed on so oh just, no <laughs> so just like things started happening i was like oh there's there's something with a rope happening people are tying us together okay this is what's happening i'm <laughs> wow there, there was no there's no like briefing no wow it no. just threw you right in oh that's amazing yeah that can be the fun of it especially like from a writing perspective if you're you know have a character who too often we see things where ceremonies where somebody is not given the proper briefing. They're just like, stand here, things will happen, don't worry. You can, you know, just you know, like take the knife when it's handed to you. It's like, but then what I do, just don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> they're handed the bloody knife and like, wait, <laughs> I did not sign up for this. <laughs> you never said the knife would be bloody. You know, it's interesting too because the ceremonies that we create around particularly um, major life events, major kind of life milestones can say a lot about what a culture thinks about that period of life or that, that milestone. 
like the difference between, you know, the different ways that we mark birth, that it's kind of like yes. you had this new new person has now entered the world. Like, how do we think about that? How do we mark that? When do we mark mm-hmm. it? Um, do we do we do something right away? Do we have some ceremony like a couple weeks later? Like I find baptism kind of interesting mm. because when you go kind of like way back, it was you get baptized as soon as possible because like your soul hangs on this. We don't want you to die not in a state of grace. So so you need to get baptized like ASAP. Whereas most people that I know now, it's like if you, you know, like we had our kids baptized and they were both like almost mm-hmm. one. It was like, that was when it worked out. That was like when the godparents could get into town. Like it was more about like, let's introduce this kid to this community that is important to us. And then we'll have brunch because, because, <laughs> because brunch, brunch. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's a difference between thinking about, oh, you know, my child's immortal soul and I want to have a party celebrating this community that I'm creating that this child is a part of. Well, I was I was going to say that, you know, your example, Rowena, brings up this interesting divide between religious and secular, right? So like you look at something like mm-hmm. like baptisms and you you know, you think about, say for instance, maybe the the secular ceremonies in modern culture or in modern Western culture that tend to attend the the birth of a child and so you know sometimes there'll be you know baby showers or or you know there are various you know things afterwards that that people can do even like you know a small thing like you know a friend or family friend or a loved one like brings a needed supply to the house or something like that and this is just like a ritual that that you know happens in yes. that community <laughs> the, the casserole the, the casserole exactly exactly <laughs> and it's so that's interesting to me because i'm obsessed with conflict and with friction in stories and trying to create as many situations as possible to generate that and so, for instance, when you have, say, for instance, a secular character uh, injected into a religious ceremony and vice versa, uh, that, like, that Marshall goes to the, the outsider, inside, like, you know, idea of taking somebody who's maybe not uh, aware or accustomed to a particular scenario or maybe even who, you know, earlier in life rejected that whole aspect of of their culture and whatnot and all of a sudden they're thrust into it like that can be so revealing of the world that you're building and also the story and there's conflict and it can drive plot and it gets all these things done yeah and that's that can be a lot of fun with that sort of thing i was also just thinking of what it says on a theological level the idea of like you want to get your child baptized right away because of its soul the idea almost like that a baby comes out unfinished yeah, yeah. and you have to do you have to yeah. do the finishing <laughs> to like make sure everything's right it's, which is an interesting take on mm-hmm. on just the idea of what childbirth necessarily means in a culture and i think that's a fun thing one can play with of of what does yeah. it take for someone to go from you know not quite done to done in terms of in terms of becoming <laughs> A full person. <laughs> well, and definitely like an internal consistency moment mm-hmm. of like the rest of the right. culture has to support that idea mm-hmm. right. that there's, you know, these rules exist and they are, they don't just exist at this moment. They exist the whole darn time. I think that one of the other times that like we really kind of get into that is, is um, when someone dies, mm-hmm. like how we think about all these 
big questions can often like culminate in that like how do we celebrate or commemorate someone's life yeah like do you do you bury them facing the sun or do you you know leave their body unburied but surrounded by sort of ceremonial markers do you cremate them do you put them in a metal box and shoot them into space like <laughs> <laughs> these are all yeah, options yeah, yeah. <laughs> And we have, you know, we have the well, deluxe package, we have the premium package. And <laughs> <laughs> well, and so much of it, too, is then that question of how much of that is for the person who's passed away. You know, if you have, especially if you're creating a fantasy world in which an afterlife is a very real thing, mm-hmm. you know, in, in a very tangible way in the world that you've written, like that becomes a very different question than if you're just kind of creating a ceremony that's really more about the community that was left behind, you know, having some closure or some kind of commemoration. Yeah. If you're, if you're building a world where say the afterlife is fluid and you move back and forth between them, then your funeral ceremonies are going to be a really different thing. And especially what you do with the body can be a very different thing. We joked slightly about it when we had our death episode back. It was, if, (laughs) if you have a cult, if you have a world where, resurrection just happens it might be impolite to move somebody (laughs) when they die (laughs) like no that's he's gonna wake up and he's gonna be mad if he's not still there just leave him there just please don't pour his coffee away he'll be right back Well, it's, it, I think another aspect of it, too, is who shows up to funerals, right? Like, if a funeral is a ceremony, who shows up to it? And I asked that question uh, with, you know, say, for instance, cops and, and military in mind. Because, like, you think of, particularly if the, the deceased or the decedent is somebody who lost their life during the course of performing their duties. And so you look at, for instance, a cop funeral... And it's, you know, it can be a very, not like ostentatious, but uh, it's it's a ceremony that's sort of governed by ritual. Um, you know, the folding of the flag in many places, or sometimes there will be, you know, all the cops in the precinct will come out and engage in a moment of silence. There's the idea in, in some places of the 21-gun salute, which is like, I find that fascinating. Like, first of all, the number 21, Second of all, the idea that you're you're firing your gun, you're engaging in this almost lethal activity as a as a result of ceremony. <laughs> the bullets all go somewhere, and who who cleans up the shell casings afterwards? Like, what is what is that? They never show that part in movies or TV. Uh, but yeah, like I always, I I think that's always. And then who gets disinvited from funerals? You know. Yes. Like who's like and yeah, who's like yo I I can I really don't You better not come. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I swear if this person is at my funeral, I will haunt you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but also like one of the questions that that can definitely come up is what are the responsibilities mm-hmm. of the bereaved? What's expected of them culturally? I was thinking in was the book it's jitterbug perfume by tom robbins where it part of it is set in india in the 10th century and one of the main characters her husband dies in a freak accident very early in their marriage and she's a young woman and they're like no we're going to you know give him his funeral pyre you're expected to jump on it and she's like mm, no um that's that's a no for me I'm... and pass <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna pass on that because I've got a fair amount of life left, and I would prefer to yeah. not yeah. jump on the funeral pyre. But that's <laughs> culturally what's expected of her, so she has to basically flee from her home because because she didn't commit suicide. Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> wow, so you're just supposed to just like you know jump in there with the with the deceased. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Yeah, no, and and another thing that I think about too is, you know, in in you know parts of traditional culture or traditional cultural strains in New Orleans, there's a lot of dancing at funerals. There's the second line. Yeah. Um, in some places, like I, I remember even seeing um, a young woman whose I believe grand aunt had died, and they brought her casket out, and the young woman was like dancing on the casket. And a lot of people would look at that and be like, wow, that's literally the most disrespectful thing ever. But it was in that community a celebration of the deceased's life. And it was like, right. this is, you know, this is this is what she would be doing. Like if she weren't in a casket, she would be dancing. And this yeah. is to honor her. <laughs> and so I always thought that was because there's the idea of what what is the utility of a ceremony like what duty does the ceremony pay the bereaved and what duty is the ceremony performing for the people left behind like does it does it lend some sense of closure like is it about honoring the person is it about like you know reaffirming ideas of you know morality and normative standards like like what does it do for the people left behind in terms of reifying the world and the culture and I feel like, you know, funerals and other, you know, post-mortem ceremonies really bring that to a head because the person that you're honoring is not present in most of our belief sets. They are mm-hmm. not witnessing this in any way, whether you believe in an afterlife or not, like they're not, they're not there. And, but I think it's, it's interesting to ask that question for ceremonies where the people who are being honored or celebrated are there. Like, to what extent is a retirement ceremony really about the person retiring? And to what extent is it about the company Mm. and the company's morals or ethics and the company's, you know, long history? Or if people are getting married, to what extent is it about them? And to what extent is it about their family or their community or, you know, normalizing standards of of what does a relationship look like? Um, Or even like even a kid's birthday party, to what extent is it about the kid having the birthday party and to one extent is it about their friends who are there it's kind of sad but sometimes you know is it about their parents trying to assert some kind of social you know status or or climb in, in within their community so it's kind of interesting to like pull that question out and say okay so who who is this really about and who is it really serving and who who's getting what out of this ceremony yeah like what is the ceremony is it honoring yeah like what is the ceremony an excuse for like maybe my kid's birthday party is an excuse for me to show off my really big house to all my neighbors (laughs) yeah (laughs) talk about fantasy worlds as a millennial i will never own a big house (laughs) (laughs) never so one thing I was thinking about um, to pivot us a little bit with ceremonies is a lot of the ceremonies that we've talked about so far have been like the big one time in your life ceremonies or maybe more than one time, but the big momentous, these are life milestones. This is when you get married, when you die, you know, born or have a baby. Um, but there's a lot of ceremony that happens kind of on on a more regular basis. Like a lot of holidays have a ceremony that goes along with them, which I was thinking about. Um, I mean, this is for 
a lot of us either Holy Week or Passover, and there's a lot of ceremony that goes along with both of those holidays every year, same ceremony. Um, what room do you think there is for that in fantasy world building? Well, it's it, it, what, what interests me is that particularly with regards to Holy Week and, and Lent in particular, um, there's this idea of emulation, right? So we're supposed to embark on this journey that is a simulacrum of what our what the deity we worship experienced or put themselves through like we're supposed to spend 40 days and 40 nights um you know not indulging in you know familiar like physical or or you know like mental wants and needs uh that we generally engage in as fallible human beings right and then at the end of this we celebrate the the resurrection of the person whose behavior we're trying to emulate as this way of trying to to you know live a life that's geared towards the you know the the will of the supreme deity right and you know I, I, I'm most familiar with you know Lent and Easter and whatnot but I, I think you know you look at say for instance Ramadan and the idea of fasting and and the idea that you're supposed to engage in this spiritually inspired deprivation um, for reasons of of emulation of holy, what's perceived as holy behavior. Um, that I always found really, really, really interesting. There's a sort of, um, it's not, it doesn't necessarily strike me as humans punishing themselves for being fallible so much as it is like humans reaching or attempting to reach within themselves to discover higher capabilities or capabilities that allow them to, um, if not transcend, then perform the transcendence of uh, their humanness. Definitely. I think there's something really aspirational about a lot of the things that we kind of craft around us. Yeah. That we kind of, you know, we, we recognize we, that there is a, a thing that we might like to be that is greater than ourselves or an idealized version or a kind of perfection. And I think that ceremony can have, can serve to at least temporarily bridge that gap. Yeah, no, definitely. Even if it's not permanent, you have this sort of temporary bridging of these, the ideal and, and the kind of un mm -hmm. unfinished reality that we can kind of, kind of work with. One thing that kind of strikes me too is when we're talking about Easter um, and thinking of Christmas that, I mean, traditionally those, those were not party days. Yeah. Traditionally. They were like, go to mass days. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and it's like, so it's like, you know, so you, you end the time of preparation, whether it's Lent or, or for the Christmas season Advent with you go and perform a ritual. And that's a ritual that's very familiar. You go to church, you, you go through all of the, the liturgy, take communion. And then it's like later that it's party day. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. I, I, I live in a very, very Polish area so the day after Easter is Dingus Day and that's just like a big party day like they would have the day off school mm -hmm. businesses are closed or the bars are open <laughs> and you just you have a party because Easter is the day that you have like the ritual mm -hmm. so it's kind of an interesting contrast I think between the way we often think of celebrating things in a modern world which is often very like happy fun have a party whereas celebrate can mean something much more somber as well. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because that that juxtaposition is captured 
perfectly in Ramadan where you fast, you know, from sunrise to sunset. And then, you know, every night you have iftar, you have the fast breaking meal, which is this, which is the celebration or ceremony that brings people together where they eat where they engage in the thing that they weren't able to do um, or, or had you know, forced themselves not to do during the day. And it's like every single day is a you know, reiteration of exactly that. There's the, the thing that you're commemorating and then the celebration um, afterwards, yeah. What you were saying about how Easter and Christmas are these somber things of, you know, that you go to mass and all that. But I was also thinking as a escaped Catholic, that (laughs) just, just the mass itself is this, you know, is a ceremony in and of itself, even though it's a weekly thing, Mm -hmm. it is Mm -hmm. this recurring thing of like, this is exactly what we're going to go through, you know, like, okay, it's going to be, you know, reading from the old testament reading from the new testament reading from the gospel the priest gives his homily then you're going to do this 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 kneel here stand here sit here kneel here sit here stand yes, here. and <laughs> and it is about just the performance of that ritual when it is sometimes just this practice of going through the motions on on a ceremonial level every week which the the purpose of which always escaped me as i said escaped catholic yeah escaped well Well, it's it's interesting like (laughs) speaking of speaking of of holy days i mean what i one of the things that i think um is being impacted particularly strongly by the current pandemic is football like every yeah. every Sunday was for a big swath of the country a holy day, not because they were going to church, but because they were going to see the Cowboys play, right? And you know they had their you know there's the 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 sort of stereotypical image of everybody crowded around the TV. You know the dudes are in their armchairs and they have their beers, you know, next to them, and you know maybe they have the paraphernalia to celebrate their team or whatever, or you even go to the stadium and see your team play and cheer and whatnot. But it, it's it's something that um, a lot of folks will orient their entire week around. Oh, if I, if I hate my job, at least I, you know, if I can get to Sunday and I can te- cheer for my team. And even if their team is traditionally a losing team, like there's still solidarity in that. Like if you're, you know, if you're a Bengals fan, you're like, you know, with, we're, this isn't our Super Bowl year, but we're going to, you know, we're going to engage in this, you know, sort of, you know, masochism together. And um, so there's like, there's even, and you look at, say, for instance, you look at even the pageantry surrounding the NFL and American football in these days and how, you know, the way that it's tied in with the, with the U.S. military in a really bizarre way where there's, like, advertising essentially going on. They'll fly jets over the oh, stadium yeah. and, you know, they do, they do the whole, like, honor the troops thing where they'll have, you know, regular military, like, on the field and there's the whole flag folding and all of that. Like, it's just really interesting seeing all the ways in which American culture in particular is braided together or at least a lot of American pathologies are braided together in this very specific day of the week. And the and also, too, there's like, you know, there'll be the one o'clock game, which, you know, not it's scheduled that way because not many people, not as many people will care about it. There's the 415 game, which is getting closer to prime time. There's the 830 p.m. game, which is the Sunday night game that everybody's supposed to care about, right? And it's sort of like there are all these sort of mini ceremonies uh, leading up to 
the big ceremony. And I think that's a big part of why, you know, the NFL in particular, out of all these leagues in American sports, has been in such denial about the way in which the pandemic's going to impact them. You still have players signing contracts, you know, being traded, all that stuff. Whereas every other league has canceled or canceled or postponed their season, the NBA. NHL, you know, what was it? Was yesterday supposed to be opening day for baseball? Um, recently, like the, the baseball season. Re- yeah, yeah. yeah I think so. baseball it's season cool. was supposed to start, but they like the MLB was like, no, we're not doing that. But the the with the NFL, the that league has managed to in in so comprehensive a way own an entire day of the week. That it can be it, like it's going to be fascinating watching them struggle to like let go of that for you know at least a season or you know a part of a season and whatnot. Um, that that like that to me is very 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 interesting. You know we're talking about regular regular holidays like when people look forward to football season like no man's business no man's business they're like okay it's time like you know this is this is what i've been waiting for all year like that's their you know this is their their season of holidays and with that you also will get people who create their own rituals and ceremonies Mm -hmm. around the act of watching you know football or whatever other sport and tie it into the success or failure or the perceived success or failure of the, of the game itself like this whole thing of like no i've got to wear <laughs> this jersey that hasn't been washed since 1973 <laughs> yeah. every time i watch the game because if i don't wear it then we're not going to win and like oh is it i think it's silver line yeah Spider, i was about to say is, yeah <laughs> where Robert De Niro's character every time something good happens he finds like the thing that like oh you moved the can over to that table when that good thing happened so that's the thing those cans <laughs> have to be on that table from now on every time we watch the remote has to be <laughs> on this part of the armchair <laughs> yeah that's I think how a lot of times rituals and ceremonies are constructed mm-hmm. and somebody just takes that little thing and it's like no like this is this is the thing that worked and so, therefore, we're just going to repeat that over and over again, and to the point where why that got started in the first place gets forgotten, but the act of doing it mm-hmm. gets repeated and repeated and passed down. Absolutely. And it can be such a small thing, too. I mean, it's like it doesn't have to be, especially when you have sort of family-level or small community-level ceremonies. I mean, they can they can be as little as, you know, we come together and we we plant the first seed in the furrow together. And that's something that we do. Or, you know, I, I think I was kind of joking around earlier that like, you know, toothbrushing in our house <laughs> takes on this almost religious significance because like my daughters have to do it the same way every night and it has to be at the same time and they each have their toothbrushes and theirs. It's like, you can kind of create a ceremony out of just about anything. And, and honestly, kids are in some way like these natural little ceremony builders yeah. because they add such significance to the smallest things. And so, you know, something that often we kind of pass over, they're like, no, that's that I, I we have to put the forks on the table before we put the plates. And you're like, I did not know that was a thing, but that's a thing now. That's that's our family laying the table for dinner ceremony is forks first. So Let's but yeah, it. you look at even like <laughs> bedtime reading, like that is yeah. an incredible like mini ceremony that 
you know, sometimes from the kids' perspective, is a major ceremony. It's like a thing that happens nightly, and it's, you know, it can be the culmination of the day, and it's this, you know, it can be this time where, you know, the kid has, for so much of the day, had to share the most important person in their entire world with the rest of the world, and it's like, okay, for these, you know, two to eight minutes or however long, I get, I get my person all to myself. I was going to say, you, you probably have a whole bedtime ceremony <laughs> that you do every night if you have a small child. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. And there, there's, there's, there's a liturgy and um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a song that must be sung mm-hmm. at the same time mm-hmm. as part of the ceremony. Yeah. It's, and there's the dressing of the garments yes. and yeah. the, the reading of the yes. sacred texts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Exactly. So one thing I kind of wanted to hit on that's, that's a sharp pivot from um, <laughs> bedtime <laughs> stories, but one thing that I, I do feel can be kind of a trap with creating ceremonies um, in world building is that like exotic, exoticizing factor, mm-hmm. making yeah. something different for the sake of being different or pulling something out of cultural context. And I mean... I think we can think of ways to kind of sidestep that, like the idea of internal consistency and really interrogating what you're doing. But is there anything that, that you guys think of to kind of like respect the importance of ceremony and, and avoid that weird exoticization in writing ceremonies? Um, I, so it's interesting because I think one of the places where as a, as both a reader and a writer, I encounter a lot of, um, biases and have to work through them or battle against them is with <clears throat> fertility ceremonies. They are ubiquitous um, in in society, and, and it's you know it it you know they they're predicated on the existence of a of a gender binary. Um, there you know there's this idea that the the thing of paramount importance is the ability of the woman to bear a child like that's the purpose of the whole woman for existing that's going to be the culmination of her life and ever like from the from the moment she's a child we bring her up so that these these important physiological developments um her first her first period etc etc are all sort of leading up are sort of mini ceremonies leading up to the big ceremony which is the childbirth which in many in, in many instances of world building will be um, sort of conce- conceived of as like the purpose of the woman for existing. And so like that, that to me is something that I, I have like encountered over and over again, but also, and it's interesting too, because sometimes you'll see that in stories where you will have, um, you know, there's an ostensible effort put into in some ways, at least on a surface level, combat a lot of stereotypes about gendered behavior. And, you know, the the idea of, say, for instance, you know, weak females by having female warriors, like, well, we'll just have Amazons, but we're still going to have, you know, the fertility ceremony be the most important ceremony in, you know, this culture. And not to say that, you know, childbearing and violence um, are incompatible or at, you know, odds with each other. But it is something that I I hope it's someday I can be capable of of do, of do like it's just it I feel like I haven't necessarily seen an 
innovative take on on that or at least a way that is, uh, that like truly escapes a lot of the traps with regards to biases and presuppositions that go into something like a a fertility ceremony they all look like fer- they all look like fertility ceremonies in every like in every single world no matter how different you know the worlds are it, you know no matter how different the novels like every fertility ceremony is recognized as a fertility ceremony <laughs> for some reason that put me in mind of the 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 impregnation sequence in in uh, midsummer which is <laughs> incredibly creepy yeah. <laughs> i i can just see by your faces that you saw it and rowena has not, <laughs> not. <laughs> because it's deeply deeply weird but yeah that is essentially a fertility ceremony there and though and though really weird um Listeners, if you've seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you've not, you you might be happier just not knowing. Yeah, yeah, that's a particular fire you may not need to walk through. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, f- I feel like one of the ones, too, that can kind of cross a weird... Let me start that over. Another kind of ceremony, I think, that can seem um, really just a, a breeding ground for unfortunate stereotypes are also um, kind of like coming-of-age ceremonies. Mm-hmm. Like, what is it that someone has to do to prove their entrance into adulthood? And I think often, um, because the ones that sometimes stand out to us have such strong cultural connotations already, um, that it, it's like a tread carefully sort of thing. Like the idea of, of having a um, sort of take a hallucinogenic substance and try to see what your you know, future or self or whatever is going to be like, there are cultures that really do things like that, but they're not troped up in that way. And there's, there's a sensitivity to how it's handled that, you know, I I think can be a dangerous ground for us fantasy writers, because there are a lot of cool ideas out there, but they're embedded in very specific cultures that use them in very specific ways. Um, And that can be kind of a difficult thing to parse apart, like, is, is this something that I should maybe just like leave alone because mm-hmm. I haven't built the framework around it? And also just the question of why does a culture value one thing over another in terms of, of coming into adulthood? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, why is it that the young man must kill a bear in order to prove his manliness instead of, you know, like, wh- why does your culture do that? It doesn't have to be that. Yeah, He could, you know perform seven acts of selfless service and that could be your entrance into adulthood it could be something else so i think there's a lot of things surrounding the idea of what makes you a full-fledged member of the community mm-hmm. that are really open for interrogation yeah and and sort of going to you know the previous example that you brought up i think another example is you know the young men of the village being left in the forest overnight and having to find their way back to the village which is the thing that like actual real cultures um have practiced and in some cases still do practice but what was interesting to me is that so many of these ceremonial um coming of age instances when you look at the sort of gender dynamics of it for the you know in in, on the mask side they're all about things that you do or things that you have to do Whereas on the femme side, they're all about things that are done to you or things that happen to you. Um, so I think one interesting way of, of, of getting at um, 
like changing that up is to like flip that. You know, what if, what if, you know, if you're still existing in the gender binary, you know, it's, you know, something that happens to the men, you know, whether it's physiologically or, you know, sort of emotionally or what have you, and then it's the women that have to do something. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be along this vector of violence. Um, but I think like that is, that is something that I've noticed sort of across both real and imagined cultures is that, you know, for the men, it's all about doing something or having to do something. And for the women, it's about being the recipient of an action. And, you know, we use pain a lot mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when we're talking about kind of like coming of age or, you know, coming into your own. And it doesn't have to be pain or violence. Like, I think that there's, yes, it, it, from a craft perspective, there's tension, there's drama in that. But you can also push back on that and interrogate it and say, what might actually be more meaningful for an individual or a culture than just surviving pain or overcoming an unpleasant circumstance mm-hmm. that they're put mm-hmm. in. <laughs> but oftentimes it is like a lot of those ceremonies are about like, okay, you did survive this hardship. We, we threw you in the frozen river and you didn't die. Yeah. So therefore, yep. therefore welcome. You are now an adult. <laughs> um, but it, or it's it is about <laughs> or you or you didn't your... survive and we have a different yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like a lot of times it is about one way or another proving like adulthood rights tend to be about proving value to the community mm, yeah and which then often comes like well then you can handle yourself and survive in these situations or like I really like your idea of like doing seven good deeds. Yeah. I think that's a great one to do because it then becomes about here is the value I bring to the community. I did these I did these good things that that raise the community up. I like that a lot. Well, and, you know, I'm sure that there are more real world examples of that kind of thing that I'm thinking of, but you know, I do think of like like the whole boy scout eagle scout thing that you like attain eagle scout by doing a big project that's supposed to be a benefit to the community. Um and then there's a ceremony that goes along with that. But, but yeah, I mean, we, we do kind of have those quieter examples lurking, I guess, if you really like go and poke well, for it's, them. So when I, was, when I was a kid, and this sort of dovetails back into the religion um, aspect of the discussion, when I was a kid, uh, our, the old church that our family belonged to had a youth program that was, that was a part of, um, you know, that would take place in the building that the affiliated school was in, um, you know, was in. And uh, one of the main, and basically it was, so the, the acronym was AWANA, A-W-A-N-A, and it stood for Approved Workmen Are Not Ashamed, which I believe is a reference to a verse in either First or Second Timothy. But it was all about essentially raising kids, and you, like, you were a kid. You were, you were Eagle Scout age. You were, this was for elementary school kids going up into middle school. You know, it was all about raising them to be, like, proper exemplars of God's will, you know, sort of raising them in the church in a way that didn't necessarily involve, you know, a minister. And one of the big activities was we would get these notebooks that were filled with Bible verses that we had to memorize and then, you know, repeat to our instructor. And if you did enough of these and you finished the book, you would get a trophy. (laughs) And then so there was, you know, the books were generally apportioned by grade, but I was really, really, really good at this. And so... 
I would just blaze through these books. And I like there's a whole like shelf at, you know, at home that is just festooned with trophies marking this sort of this sort of feat, this sort of activity. And it's interesting because it like it's it's sort of but not entirely tied into the coming of age thing, but it's this idea of preparing you as a person which I think gets at the root of a lot of this sort of what value do you bring to the community uh, aspect of world building. It's sort of like building you as a person. And on top of that, that's one of the, another kind of adulthood right ceremony that is centered on, on making a choice as an adult of like declaring yourself like, okay, I have learned all these things and I can, you know, now recite them. Thus, Therefore, I have, you know, shown that I, this is part of who I am now. Um, and the Catholic confirmation is much the same thing. Mm -hmm. of like, you know, I now have, of being of adult mind, I'm saying, yes, I'm confirming my place in the church. I'm confirming my place in this community. And so that can be another kind of thing of just of that declaration. I know in our... In our Discord chat, there when we did our Thirteen Families episode, we talked about how like children are children and their families are not declared until mm -hmm. until that they have that adulthood right ceremony. And somebody in our Discord came up with the idea that gender is not declared until that moment either. And that's and up until then a child is just a child. And then at that coming of age, that's when they say, This is what my gender is and everyone's like, Oh, okay, good. We <laughs> well, that was in so that was in um, Black Tides of Heaven by Neon Yang. Like that, it, th oh, like that is exactly yes. that's exactly a thing. And I'm very fortunate. I so I'm I'm guest faculty for this semester at Sarah Lawrence, and I've been teaching this class on the novella. And that was one of the works that I'd chosen to to do. And it was it was wonderful having this discussion with my students about this about this very idea this aspect of world building where you're just a you're just a child like your pronouns are are they them until you you know and it's presumed that it's at a certain age although within the story you have um i believe i believe there's there's a character who confirms at the age of like three or something but like you know there's a general the general period of time that you reach where you declare yourself sort of mask or femme or you declare that you'll go by he or she and like that I think was was very 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 interestingly done and sort of in a, a you know an exemplification of exactly what you're talking about with regards to you know sort of declaration of personhood and tie that to uh, choice of gender but yeah I think I think that's can be some of the more interesting versions of adulthood rights where it is about about that this is who i'm gonna be mm -hmm. and, and and confirming that concept um and i think because to, to circle back to, to the idea of like exoticizing as a trap i think that sort of thing can be a good way to avoid the trap to some degree if it becomes something just very personal and rooted in character mm -hmm. and then it becomes less about trappings of ritual, which can, even if unintentionally, feel like they've been appropriated from other cultures and be more about the character that you're centering on. Absolutely. So I, I feel like we have focused a lot on the serious elements <laughs> of ceremonies, even though we've had a lot of fun. Um, but one thing I guess I wanted to kind of like pose as a as a episode wrapping up 
let's off the cuff do some goofy world building is <laughs> what are some of the more like fun or oddball or the like enjoyable parts of ceremony that like you could think of wrapping into into a fantasy world ceremony or a real world ceremony like the stuff that you're kind of like we don't really know why we put a line of ketchup down the aisle before you know we we have the bride come down but we do it's what we do like (laughs) i I have never been to that wedding (laughs) no i have not either (laughs) i will say uh casual fridays casual fridays like yeah like like that yeah like you know, there's so it's so fascinating when you look at ceremonies within the context of like a professional setting, and here you have this celebration of the idea of of not being so buttoned up or like, oh, you've worked so hard for Monday through Thursday that your reward is going to be that you can wear, you know, you can wear, you know, khakis and you know a Hawaiian shirt to work on Friday, <laughs> which then you know ties into the whole idea of. Why is like what is the work uniform based on? Yeah. Anyway, like why do you are you expected to dress that way Monday through Thursday? And what's really changed exactly. on Friday that you can do it differently? <laughs> and how does how does that affect the value of the work you're doing on uh, throughout the week and then on Friday? Which I find fascinating, and which makes me glad I don't work in an office. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, in general, I think one of the with anything ceremonial you can have a lot of fun especially with the clothing aspect of it and like you can create your fun rules you can create your something old something new something borrowed something blue and as as a thing you've included in it and i think that's those are those are a lot of fun little things you can do in terms of in terms of making the ceremony more amusing and inventive yeah, especially if there's some sort of magic involved. Like if the ceremony yes. is like, oh, you have to you have to conjure the perfect uh, New York style cheesecake. Um, <laughs> and you have 30 minutes to come up with like the best magical spell for putting together the tasty. It's basically Great British Bake Off, but with magic It's basically what I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to that I ceremony. That, I, like I need that book to exist now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good for the it's good for the judges and the people that have to oversee the ceremony because they get to eat all types of tasty. Exactly, cake. I love it. One thing I was thinking of that in terms of just either thinking about creating the ceremony for your world to begin with, or how you can make it a little more fun, and you're actually like writing it um, into into a plot is that um the people you're including and there's always the kinds of people who are kind of free agents and if there are going to be kids at a ceremony like guaranteed (laughs) if you give them a part in the ceremony something is going to be strange or goofy or they're going to take it to some ridiculous extreme or they're just going to stand there and not do anything and do like the deer in the headlights and i feel this has been a very like church heavy episode but one thing i was thinking of is is that usually you know a church service is pretty straight laced and pretty like buttoned up but on palm sunday we just like hand kids a bunch of palms <laughs> yeah. and we say like go have a parade through the church and the boys immediately start whapping each other over the head yeah. and the girls immediately like start like you know making a dress out of it and then someone's riding it like a horse and it's <laughs> yeah. just it's chaos it's total chaos <laughs> 
And I totally went gender stereotype on that, but I have led many of those of small <laughs> yeah. children. And it's like always, they just, it just, it just disintegrates it instantly. And someone always plans it for way too long. Mm-hmm. So it's like, we'll have them go for like this whole song. And you're like, it's been 30 seconds. It needs to stop. It needs to stop now before someone gets hurt. Oh yeah. Well, it's like, you know, if, you have family reunions at Thanksgiving, there's bound to be drama. Like, you know, you know, some, you know, some, you know, there will be two aunts who brought the same dish and there's constant competition over the course of the day over whose, you know, mac and cheese was better, which in some communities is like an actual, like that's, that's, you know, you're, you're that's serious business. Yeah, you're standing in the community is legitimately <laughs> on the line. Like, you know, there will be there will be gossip about one uncle, and you know, there's there's always talk about you know that that one auntie who you know is too focused on her professional life, and when is she gonna get a man? And she doesn't cut her hair like a proper woman, like etc. 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 There's going to be you know the the auntie who comes in with her lady friend, and everybody calls her her lady friend. It doesn't actually call her <laughs> her girlfriend or her wife or what have you. Um, you know the kids doing all types of stuff. You know you got the the you got that one uncle who, you know, is recovering from addiction, but was like, you know, is still a womanizer and et cetera. Like all these different chaos agents that are in this like, you know, specific house. And then like somewhere in a back room, you have people playing spades, which is bound to erupt into violence. Um, It's just, it's a perfect storm for conflict. You know, and we always think about we were talking like Tochi earlier, you were talking about like the 21 gun salute and these like very like regimented military kind of ceremonies. And I think when we think of these kinds of ceremonies in our minds, they're like the Hollywoodized perfect. Everyone has practiced enough, mm-hmm. but most ceremonies people really have not. practiced <laughs> <Yeah>. enough. <laughs> and so like, if you ever happen to a funeral where someone was in the military and they have the, the salute, like it's, it's not a bunch of, men of the same height yeah. wearing perfectly tailored yeah. uniforms like it's usually a bunch of retirees yep. kind of like in the they're most of their clothes are ironed kind mm-hmm. of but like they're not crisp it's not perfect because that that's just not that's just not usually yeah. how yeah. most of us live our lives is is most of us are not practicing ceremonies constantly to make them look perfect so there's that reality of imperfection that can add um <laughs> actually a, a layer of, of fun or character building or whatever to your writing. At no point do you get the practical experience of, I'm going to be a pallbearer, so I should learn how to carry <laughs> yeah. a thing with five other guys now <laughs> for when for when the real moment happens. Exactly. And you got, <laughs> so I'm ready. They should have that class yeah. in high school. And you're like, okay, I've been training all my life to be, you know, front left. That's my position. <laughs> um, you know, it's you know, it's like being on it's like being on a soccer team. It's like, okay, you got front left, you got front right, you know, who are your who are your midfielders? You know, who's gonna be bringing up the rear? Like, you know, you need proper people on your team. Yeah. And then and then and then you've practiced yeah. like this whole time and then they throw stairs Yo. at you. And you're like, what? What? I, I was not told there would be stairs. Paul Bear Paul Bear <laughs> Championship. Could you imagine March Madness for Paul Bearers? <laughs> <laughs> now I want that story too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Oh man! All right, we'll be releasing an anthology shortly. Ex- exactly. <laughs> if if that didn't break, you know, social distancing guidelines, I mean, if ESPN is particularly starved for coverage, you know, we might be able to get that started. Um, so we're now at the point where we invite our guest stars to create a bit of world building trivia to insert into this grand world project we've been coming up with in, in the past people have given us elaborate theater projects or one weird animal that people give as pets or people sending menageries of live animals to other cultures so come up with something wild and share it with us um so you know i did a i did a lot of brainstorming on this um you know was up late many nights and i've realized that in this particular culture, everybody wears open-toed, sa- open-toed sandals um, from, okay. you know, very young age up into adulthood. And the number of times in which um, if you grow up and reach a certain age, having stubbed your big toe the least number of times, you're designated as a village elder. <laughs> I like it. I like as, it a lot. As someone who is a very clumsy individual <laughs> yeah. and would not be a village elder, I, I oh, yeah. approve wholeheartedly. I, I would not have made it to, to being the village elder. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I dropped. I almost dropped a knife on my foot today. Oh so. my goodness! <laughs> I moved quick, so, <laughs> so it didn't happen. But. At least you're nimble. <laughs> All right. Well, Tochi, thank you so much for joining us. This has been an absolute delight. I hope that you've had fun, too. Oh, this has been such um, a pleasure. Thank you for having me. But, yes, um, dear readers or dear listeners, um, do check out Tochi's books. Um, he has a fantastic backlist of young adults, um, which I think are still great ones for adults. I think I've read War Girls, and I really enjoyed it. So um, stock up, friends. Hi, you! Thanks for listening to this episode of World Building for Masochists and letting us help you overcomplicate your writing life. Our next episode goes up on May 13th, and we'll be talking about materials and possessions with Melissa Caruso. Melissa has written wonderful books, and she's had brilliant things to say about sword fighting and gowns, so I'm looking forward to chatting with her all about that. We really hope you liked this episode. If you did, please take a minute to tell a friend, shout about us on the internet, or leave a review on iTunes. If you've got questions or just want to tell us how cute we are, there are a number of ways to contact us. We're on Twitter and Tumblr as at WorldBuildCast, and our email is WorldBuildCast at gmail.com. We also have a Discord chat room linked on the About the Show page of our website if you want to come chat with us or other fans of the podcast. Here's your cool fact of the day. One form of ritual we didn't touch on much was military rituals. At the U.S. Naval Academy, it is traditional for the year to end with a first-year cap placed on the top of the Herndon Monument, which is then greased. All the first-year plebes work together to climb the greased monument and replace the cap with a combination cover to officially mark the end of their plebe year. <laughs>